0: Well, we have a very, very important subject before us this morning as we have come to Daniel chapter 9 and verses 24 through 27. Normally we take a chapter a day or a chapter each Sunday morning and so uh, we're only taking four verses and that's one of the reasons is because this is so important that we understand Daniel's 70 weeks that he received from the angel Gabriel and we want to take our time make sure we understand this is one of the great prophecies of scripture if you are here this morning and you doubt the authenticity of the Bible uh, you may be struggling like many of us did when we were considering the things of the Lord is the Bible really true can how do we know they got it right Uh, this is one of those passages you will want to put deep in your heart It was one of the two or three main passages uh, at the age of 27 that God used to convince me, a skeptic, that the Bible really was true in all that it said. There were no mistakes. There There was no other sacred book like this one. And it is true to this very day. There is no other book in human history that can predict things with accuracy. In fact, they can't predict at all. This is just a phenomenal passage of the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we are excited about looking at this passage. This is one of my favorites, and I'm sure the favorite of many. Lord, how you could, as only God could, 500 years before it ever began in the fulfillment. Lord, of so many weeks of this 70 weeks, and, Lord, we're going to see it from Scripture this morning right to the very day as it has been proven time and time again by scholars. We thank you, Lord, for the incredibleness of your word, that we who are just normal understanders of the word of God, we can, we can see this and we can rejoice in it. But we need your guidance, Lord. This is not easy material. And may we go forth today, Lord, rejoicing in the security that we have with you. And we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for his name's sake. Amen. In recent weeks, those of you who have been with us, who have been studying the book of Daniel, you will have noticed in Daniel chapter 7 and chapter 8, uh, Daniel has at times been in great distress because as he sees these visions and he sees the dreams and he hears the message from Gabriel, He is just awed by the fact is of the tremendous, horrendous misfortune that lies ahead for the nation of Israel. It's going to be a time of utter destruction and desolation to the nation of Israel. For more than 3,500 years, these prophecies basically have been known. Even going all the way back to the beginning of the nation of Israel, we find little seed plots. When we come to the prophet Daniel, now it just explodes upon Daniel. And he sees because of Israel's disobedience that God is going to bring a day still yet future to us in which there is just going to be utter destruction to the nation of Israel. We're going to read this morning from the prophet Zechariah that one two-thirds two-thirds of the population of Israel. If that would happen today, there's approximately 15, 16 million Jewish people around the world. If that were to happen today, 10 million of those Jewish people would die within seven years. This is just an incredible prophecy. But the thing that we must always remember is this. As God brings them through this desolation, there is a blessing at the end. And that is when Christ comes back and he will be their true Messiah here upon the earth and there will be a thousand years of his kingdom in which Christ will rule and reign, and Israel will be the light of the world as God had called her to be 3,500 years ago. So the big point this morning that I trust that we can just integrate and take home with us for our own practical life day by day is when victory is assured, when we know there is absolute guarantee of victory in the future, then the trials of the moment are purposeful. They're not painless, as you well know, but they're purposeful. You see, if you and I had no absolute security that our eternity is going to be with Jesus Christ because of our faith in Christ and Christ alone, the trials of our life would just not only be overwhelming, there would be no purpose to it. Why go through all of this and end up in hell? And What's the purpose to it? But when you and I understand our security is in Christ and Christ alone... We have a bright future. It's not an if, it's not a hypothesis, it is an absolute guarantee, it is a secure thing. Therefore, the trials of our life we see as purposeful, because we know where we're going. And this is true of the nation of Israel, even though there are some devastating days ahead for the nation of Israel, their future is bright and it is guaranteed. I want to begin this morning by taking you back to Daniel chapter 9, and the last four verses that we looked at last week. Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 23. Now, while I, references to Daniel in the context, was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication or my petitions before the Lord my God in behalf of a holy mountain of my God, reference to Jerusalem, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, an angel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. Though there was no temple at this time where Daniel was, obviously, because he was ministering in the Gentile courts. Yet we find here that he kept properly that time in which he always went to the Lord in prayer, and it was around the time of the evening offering. In verse 22, he gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. So he comes, Gabriel comes to Daniel. He says, I'm going to give you understanding and insight on the rest, the remainder of the years with the nation of Israel. How are they going to end up? What will be true of them in the very end of times? Verse 23. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued. And I have come to tell you that you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message, gain understanding of the vision. Now may I just say to you boldly that no one in the world gets this information except from the Bible. This is where God has placed it. History is centered in the nation of Israel. History is not about Gentile nations, even though obviously they are involved in history. But if you want to say, what is, the center of the, what is the central place of history? What does history revolve around? It is this little tiny nation, Israel, that God has bestowed his love upon as the apple of his eye, and written on the palms of his hands. God just does things exact opposite of what we think it should be. As you listen to the news today and tomorrow and the remainder of this week, you will, you will sense that the world events is all about the Gentile nations. It's about the United States. It's about China. It's about Russia. It's about the European Union and all of these. And obviously they are entities. But everything flows around the issue of Israel. If you understand Israel and God's perspective of Israel and Israel's future, you know world history. Isn't it amazing that we have generation after generation that goes through 12, 15, 16 years of education? And we never hear one word about this. God does things so differently, so differently from mankind. Well, what did Daniel need to understand? Well, Daniel is is given this message, and so we find now in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. He says, from this point, and we're going to establish that point in just a moment, 70 years. We generally have a little trouble talking about 70 weeks. We We understand 70 years, but 70 weeks? We're going to learn that that's 490 years, and we'll explain that in just a moment. But let's just take it as Daniel was given uh, this information, 70 weeks. Are these days, are these weeks, are these months, are these years? Well, he says weeks. It's week of years. There's seven. Let's just take a look at this just for a moment so you'll understand it, okay? Look at it first. If I said to you a week of days, we'll just see that on the screen here, a week of days would be what? That's pretty easy, right? A week of days. We usually say there are seven days. That makes a what? A week. Well, Scripture just turns it around, and we could use it this way. A week of days would be seven days. Now, let's look at the next one then. In the next one, we find a week of years is seven years. Emphasis on the word week. A week, we know, we associate seven. A week of days would be seven days. A week of years would be what? Ah, you're great students. You've got seven years. Okay, let's look at the next one. Let's take a little bit further. Seven weeks of years would be what? If one week is seven years, then seven weeks would be what? 49. Wow, we're doing good here. Okay, let's, let's get a little more difficult here. 62 weeks. 62 weeks of years, that would be seven times what? 62 you can just look on the screen and get it right off, okay? (laughs) 400 and what? 34 years. What if I had 70 weeks of years? Well, I skipped one, didn't I? 69, okay, you're going to get 483. 70 weeks, sorry, back there in the booth, okay. 490 years. So when Gabriel, the angel, says, we're going to be talking about 70 weeks, how many years are we talking about? 490 years. If we can designate and be assured historically of the beginning date, then we can mark off 490 years, something is going to take place for the nation of Israel that has never before happened to any nation. Well, I know you're interested in getting there, so let's go back to this verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed. That means it's been determined by God and only by God for your people. So Daniel, I want you to understand, carefully observe this. Seventy weeks, 490 years have been decreed for your people, Israel, and your holy city, Jerusalem. And the purpose of the 70 weeks are six things. Here they are. Number one is to finish the transgression. After 490 years, Israel will come to an end of the rebellion against God. Israel as a nation will have a new heart. Israel will not be like the Israel today, which is in total rebellion to God and all the things about God. They're basically are like every other nation in the world. As the fact is that they believe by their military might and by their intelligence, they can survive. Well, God says at the end of these 490 years, there will be an end to the transgressions. They will be converted. They will look to God, and they will see their sin. Secondly, the purpose of these 490 years is to make an end of sin. After 490 years, Israel will will have an end to their daily sins. Number three, to make an atonement for iniquity. After 490 years, Israel's sins will no longer be seen. So what we're talking about in three of these six purposes is the fact there's coming a time when there will be an end of their transgressions, there will be an end of their daily sins, and there will be an atonement made for their iniquity after 490 years. Zechariah the prophet helps us out with this in chapter 13 and verses 1 and 2. And then we're going to look at verses 8 and 9. Follow with me carefully. In that day, in that day, a fountain. Now we're talking about when's this atonement, when's this covering going to be made for this? When will this nation Israel be born again in that term as we are individually? In that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for impurity. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land and there will no longer, they will no longer be remembered. And I will also remove the prophets and the unclean spirit from the land. I am going to be, actually take care of the nation and of the land, the city, Jerusalem. Now in verse 8. It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it. Now, how's this atonement going to come? What will be the cost? An atonement means a covering for sins. What will be the cost to God? Well, we read this morning in Isaiah 53. The death and crucifixion of Christ was not just for you and me, but it was also for the purpose of Israel. You and I simply are benefactors of that death. That you and I personally could have our sins forgiven as, nation, as the nation of Israel will in the future. Now, verse 8. It will come about, and all the land declares the Lord that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. That's just language that says that in that day, and we'll look at it in just a second, In that day, two-thirds of the population of Israel living in the land will be cut off. They will die. We look at Hitler's Holocaust in World War II and say that was six million Jews. Now there will be more than ten million Jews. There's another Holocaust coming that Israel does not see and neither does the world see. But you and I see it because we look at the Word of God. That two parts of it will be cut off and perish, but the the third will be left a third of the population will be left and be rebirthed and go into the millennial kingdom. Verse 9, And I will bring the third part through the fire, through the testing, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I. you see the conversion here. They, this third, will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, They are my people, and they will say, The Lord is my God. Now look what this verse says. That's not what Israel does. That's what God does on behalf of Israel. He sovereignly changes their hearts. Look at the verse. You can't get anything out of it. It's not that Israel comes to the end of their days and says, you know, God's been so gracious to us for over 3,500 years, I think I'll just give my heart to the Lord. That's not going to happen. It is God's divine intervention into a nation. And a nation is comprised, obviously, of people. And the third that is left at the end of the tribulation hour, the seven years of tribulation, those third God will sovereignly change their lives. Is that what the text says? Obviously. And that's the same sovereign God that changes your life. If you think you came to a place on your own initiative and called out to God and said, Okay, God, I'm ready now, save me. Hey, God, I'm ready now. God, please. No, it doesn't work that way. Never has, never will. But my, my humanness wants it to work that way because it gives me some self value that I'm going to tell God, I'm ready. You don't tell God anything. What we cry out to God when God works upon our heart is the fact is, I am lost, I am a sinner. I Lord, I have no hope. I can't respond to you. I don't even know you. I am separated from you. I've been in church all my life. And I am separated from you. But God, I see my sinfulness. And we cry out to God. Why? Because God gives us the faith to cry out. It's the only way it ever has worked. Unless we distort the scriptures. And so we find here that the Lord is my God. This is initiative by God. Now notice back in... Daniel nine twenty four again. There's been three purposes already for the four hundred ninety years to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make an atonement for the iniquity of Israel. Now here's the fourth one, to bring in everlasting righteousness. God decrees four hundred ninety years, and at the conclusion of that, the nation will be reborn. A third of the Jewish people will come to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, their Messiah. And then he says, there will come a time of everlasting righteousness. Israel's security is guaranteed. We are just as sure that Israel one day will be the light of the world, they will be the head of all nations, just as certain as you and I are going to heaven today, because God has Births us in righteousness. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Number five, to seal up vision and prophecy, meaning that it's no longer needed. And third, to anoint, to dedicate the most holy place or the most holy ground so that the millennial temple can be built and then worshipped. This is incredible. This is Daniel writing probably about 540 B.C. This still lies in the future. Now, you say, well, that's all great. That's that's real nice. But what evidence is there that it is going to happen? Glad you asked. Daniel 9, verse 25. He gives us some markers. So you are to now, Gabriel says, so you, Daniel, are to know and you are to discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, Daniel's in captivity, right? Back in his homeland, it's desolation. The temple has been destroyed. There's nothing left there. All the people have been taken into captivity. So what we're reading here is that, so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, Jerusalem will be rebuilt from that time of that decree to go back to your homeland and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Seven weeks is how many years? 49. What's 62? 400 and what? 34. Add them together, you get 400 and what? Eighty-three, right? Am I right? You with me? Okay. Well, you say, well, that's not 70. That's only 69. There's a purpose for that. Now, the, the difficulty can be is, well, when do we know we start counting these years? Was it as Daniel was hearing? No. Because if you go 483 years from the time Daniel got this from the angel Gabriel, you end up before the Messiah comes the first time. Well, how do you do this then? Well, thankful God has a good history account. Let me finish this verse right here, and then we'll take a look at it. So he says there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Add them together, you get the 69 weeks, 483 years it, referring to Jerusalem, will be built again with a plaza. What do you do at a plaza? You meet, you interact, you have social life. Now, for Israel during that day, would you do that inside a protective city or would you build your plaza outside unprotected? Well, if I'm going to have interaction with society, I'd rather do it in a protected space, wouldn't you? So we do know this, that when this plaza, this open area is built, then Jerusalem's walls have to be completed because there would be safety for it. And God says this. It will be built again with plaza and a moat, a trench to defend the city, even in times of distress. If you read Nehemiah and Ezra, during those days you will realize the building of the walls, the building of of the city was going on, but under troublesome what times there was enemies all around them. So how do we figure out this starting time? Well, there are four decrees decrees we know from scripture, and we also know from history. Cyrus, a Gentile king, gives a decree that fifty thousand can go back in five thirty eight B C. Darius, because it's the Medo Persian Empire, so basically there were co kings or co emperors. Darius. He gives a decree in 519 B.C. Artaerxes is Grecian, and he gives one in 458, but he also gave a second one in 445 B.C. You say, how do you choose that? Do you just randomly guess at this? No. Come with me to the book of Nehemiah chapter 2. Because one of these decrees specifically has to talk about what Daniel 925 talks about. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes. Don't ever forget, when you read other proposed suggested sacred writings, they never do this. God's always confirming his truth. Go check it out. He confirms his history, confirms his truth by Gentile dating as well as Jewish dating. He does both. It came about in the month of Nisan, which was Jewish, in the twentieth year of King Artaerxes. The wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. This is Nehemiah. He was a cup bearer. He was a cup taster. He was the one that tasted the wine, so if the king was going to be poisoned, he'd get poisoned first. Great job, as long as it lasted. The wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had been sad in his presence so he comes in he's the wine taster so he gives the king his wine knows that it's not poison because he's walking in with it but he has this sad countenance you think god has anything to do with this so the king said to me why is your face sad though you are not sick for a cupbearer that's good this is nothing but sadness of heart Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, Jerusalem, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire, then the king said to me, what would you request? I wonder if God has anything to do with this. So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If I please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Let me go back to Jerusalem and and head up a building project. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and give me a definite time. And I said to the king, If it pleased the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the providences beyond the river, Euphrates, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. Give me a safe passage. And that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress which is by the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. It's kind of like, what else do you want, Nehemiah? I mean, you you want a train ride too? I mean, he's asking for it all, right? And rightly so. And the king granted them to me. (laughs) Jewish. I mean, captivity. Here is a sovereign God. Who rules over the hearts of kings? This is fantastic. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my Lord was what? So he gives praise to God. Who rules over your supervisor tomorrow? Who rules over your home? Who rules over everything? Do you live life as if just when you go to church... You get this God thing? Or do you see every day of your life, God is in control of everything for His glory, not for my health and wealth, but for His glory? Yes, He does bless us. Now then, now the question that we've got to answer, if you're going to have a plaza, it's within the safety of the walls... You've got to have 49 plus 434 years put together. That's 483. And it has to move ahead until the time when the Messiah presents himself, Jesus Christ. The only date that works is this 445 B.C. It's the only date that works. It works really well. Let me show you how well it works. Now remember, in ancient times, for, the, for those of you who have had your history, places like China, India, even in South America, other parts of the world, in ancient times, their calendar was based upon 360 days. That was a year, rather than our 365 and leap years and all of that. Jewish time is calculated... In Daniel's time, on the 360 year basis, just like most of the world was at that time. Now, then, when you do that, then you come up with 483 years. We got that. We see that is true. Now, if it's based upon 360 days per year, then I should be able to multiply 60. Or 483 times 360. Who's got it? You all got your palms and your hands and your blackberries. Come on. Okay. How many? 173,880 what? Now we should be able to mark from this decree in Nehemiah four hundred and eighty. Three years, 173,880 days. And at the end of that last day, we should see a proclamation of the Messiah saying, I am here. You'd say, there's no way. Sure there is. You'd say, well, has anybody else besides you figured this out? Oh, yeah. This has been going on for over 200 years. There was a man by the name of Anderson, a Christian of the British Museum, who was one of the first to tackle this project. But nevertheless, here's some dates you may want to write down. Artie gave the decree on March the 14th, 445 B.C. March the 14th, 445 B.C. Now, if you get bored with the football game this afternoon, you can do your own project and just mark it out, Okay. Now, if you go 173,880 days, that will end on April the 6th, 32 A.D. April the 6th, 32 A.D. Now, I put this in your notes there so you can, you can listen to me the rest of the way and go home and look at your notes, okay? But you can see the Gogarian calendar there with the Jewish calendar. You can do it both ways. And we're going to read in Zechariah now a prophecy about this. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just. This is at least 450 years prior to Christ. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just, endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's pretty precise, isn't it? Now, if this Messiah is to come on April the sixth, then he better be riding not on a white stallion, but he better be riding on a what? A foal of a donkey. Humble, having salvation. Luke chapter nineteen, verse thirty-seven. Luke chapter nineteen, verse thirty-seven. At the close of the Lord's ministry, we read in verse 37, recorded by Luke, as soon as he, reference to Christ, was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. That sounds pretty specific, doesn't it? Here is Christ presenting himself. But it even gets better in Matthew chapter 21, which is a parallel passage. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethany at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, you remember this, saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a what? A white stallion. You will find a donkey tied there and a what? A colt with her. Untie them. Bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, "The Lord has need of them." Boy, was he right. And immediately he will send, he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, and you know his name, Zechariah, as well as you could conclude with Daniel. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on the colt, the fold of a beast of burden. That's pretty precise. Can you imagine 2010, shoot off to 2510? And say on 2510, in the year 2510, on April the 6th, this is going to occur, and here are four or five specific things that you can tell if it's really true or not. What would you say if somebody told you at work that tomorrow? You would say, like I would say, you're nuts. There's nobody can do that. There's no way. But God did. And that's the God of your salvation. That's the God who says, you can trust me for tomorrow. I have your life marked out. You may say this morning, well, it doesn't sound like you've marked it out very well because all I got is trouble. Israel has trouble too because God has a purpose. You see, the trouble comes because you and I have our problems. And God allows trials to come into our life that it draws our attention back to God, to who He is, and His promises to us. We know the end, we know our security in Christ and Christ alone. So tomorrow when the trials come, they are painful, but I understand they're purposeful. And I understand that it's not, we are headed for what? Victory. Remember the old statement we had? I've said this, use this illustration, because I think it's a good illustration. But we had a man here that served us well as a deacon for a number of years. Just gravely was his name. He loved football. And for whatever reason, now it's been so long ago, I forget the reason, but he couldn't see the Super Bowl. And uh, so we kidded him a lot and said, well, I'm going to tape it or I can just call you up and tell you how it came out. No, no, I want the tape. Don't anybody tell me what the end of the score was. I don't want to know the results. I want to watch it. And so we kidded him for about a week. We just drove him nuts to say, hey, Jess, you know, uh, we're, uh, just have your phone on you. We'll give you a call. We'll tell you how the game came out. No, don't do that. I want to watch the game. And sure enough, he missed the game. Somebody gave him a video at that particular time, a, VG, a VHS video, and he watched it. Now, I was not there, but another person watched it with him. And there were times, I mean, Jess could really get emotionally involved in these things. <laughs> and he was oohing and aahing. Oh, man, oh, I can't believe this. The other person was telling us he just, he just sat there and watched. It's not a problem. I know how it comes out. Wouldn't you like to live your life like that? Well, you can. You can, because we know the end is victorious. We know that when Christ comes, we shall go to be with Him forever. That's not conditioned upon our good looks, thank God, (laughs) nor our good works, thank God. It's based upon a sovereign God. Who is the God of our salvation and so that's the surety of these things, now come with me back to Daniel 9, 26 I want you to see a little word here in the English, it's very important in verse 26 then after, make sure you underscore that, we generally pass over that, then after after the 62 now he's already assumed we understand the first what? These are sixty-two weeks. The first what? Seven. Okay, so we understand it's sixty-nine altogether. Okay? The seven weeks, the forty-nine years he talked about, and then the four the four eighty-three total. Then after the sixty what happens after these sixty-two weeks are finished, the Messiah has presented himself to Israel, Israel rejects him. Now would we expect the seventieth week to continue? No, it doesn't. How do we know it doesn't continue? Because the things that are to happen in the 70th week did not happen seven years after the presenting of the Messiah. But notice this carefully. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off, obviously designating his death, a violent death, and having nothing. Nothing was accomplished. The Messiah came. He offered the kingdom to Israel. I will repent The kingdom is at hand, it is near, I will give to you. All you need to do, Israel, is repent. They can't. And God wanted them to see that. You can't without me. So they crucified him. And you know, without God's sovereign grace, when he he comes back at the end of the tribulation hour, without God's divine intervention into the hearts and lives of the Jewish people and nation, you know what Israel would do with Christ again? the same thing that you and I would do with him if we were not saved. We would say what? Crucify him, crucify him. That's exactly what you and I would do. It is exactly what Israel would do. And that's the reason why God has to do it by grace. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Nothing was accomplished for the nation of Israel. And the people of the prince, who is to come, after the presentation of the Messiah in the first 483 years, who is to come will destroy the city and sanctuary. Who do we know historically that came after the crucifixion of Christ and destroyed Jerusalem again? Roman General Titus. And the people, the prince, who is to come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. This was because of Israel's rejection of Christ. God continued his discipline of the nation. Now, the next phrase, and it's, but grammatically, it's pretty clear here. In fact, it's emphatically clear here. It's a reference, and it should be, and his end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be a war. Desolations are determined. So this prince, and one who comes like him, as the book of Revelation says... There will be an outpouring of God's wrath, even to the end. So what we should expect after the crucifixion of Christ and his ascension, what should we expect about the nation of Israel all the way up to the present hour? Blessings or curses? Curses. War upon war. Devastation upon devastation. Holocaust after Holocaust. Is that true historically? to this very hour. 1948, Israel becomes a nation. I believe that is significant, but it's not the rebirth of the nation, not spiritually. It's a political movement, and that's fine. God's using that, but it's not the spiritual rebirth. Israel today is still in hardness towards the Messiah and would reject him this very hour if he would show up. And so there will be an outpouring of God's wrath, and it has been for almost 2,000 years. Even to the end, there will be war and desolation. This is the reason why when you and I listen to the news, bless their hearts anyway, they give it a good shot. We're going to have peace in Jerusalem. I tell you, if you elect me, we're going to have peace in Jerusalem. And you look at the Scripture and say, well, I understand your heart, but it's not going to what? The only one that can bring peace to Jerusalem is the prince of what? peace and when does he come at the end of the tribulation time so we have one week left we've concluded 69 we have this gap that you see in your notes there there's one seven year period of time one week left and we're going to take a look at that come with me to verse 27 And he, a reference to the Antichrist, you would pick this up in Revelation as well, as future chapters of Daniel 10 and 11. And he, the Antichrist, the beast of Revelation, will make a firm covenant, a promise with the many for one week, more than just Israel, but for the whole world. There is a man who is coming who will be so unique that all the world will fall in love with him. And he says, if you will just make me your world ruler, I will bring peace. And he does. For how long? Three and a half years. How do you know that? He will make a firm covenant, a firm promise with many for one week. But in the middle of that promise, in the middle of that week, in the middle of those seven years, three and a half years, in the middle of the week, he will put a stop. He will stop the Jewish worship, the sacrifice, the grain offering, because there will be a tribulation temple for them. He will stop the sacrifice. He will stop the grain offering. Why? Because He is God. He desires to be God. And on the wing, or the Hebrew word there is extreme, on the extreme of abomination, those things so detestable that Christ said in his Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, if it was not for God stopping the tribulation at the end of seven years, man would annihilate himself from the face of the earth. He says there will be a time for seven years, the tribulation time, Jacob's trouble in the Old Testament, in which he said there has never, ever been a time on planet earth of such devastation as those latter three and a half years? Well, can you give me a little bit of an idea how devastating that is? Well, the closest I can come to it is the days of Noah, because there were approximately five billions of people living on planet Earth, and only eight survived the flood. That's pretty devastating. Now, that was a flood, obviously. By the way, a literal one. It's hard for all those billions of people to die without it being literal, right? Okay. Now notice what he says here. He says that in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering on the wing or the extreme of abominations, things detestable, will come one who makes desolate. There is this antichrist, there is this beast who comes and makes desolate. Desolate. Even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. You've got to read that one a couple of times. What it's saying is one is coming is going to cause all this devastation and desolation. And then God decrees what? And I will put an end to you, and I will bring extreme desolations on you and it will be the end of the Antichrist. As the book of Revelation says, the Antichrist and the false prophet at that time will be cast into the lake of fire. Satan is bound for a thousand years during the millennial kingdom. If you'll just take a quick note, this is also in your notes provided for you, but look at the timeline. that's a little cloudy or complex it um, has a lot of stuff on there. I took about an hour last night to redesign it, and I said, this is foolish. They'll figure it out. So if you'll notice, way down at the bottom, <laughs> way down at the bottom, you'll see the weeks that we've been talking about. You see where the copyright for Daniel's Bible Church is. We'll just move across on that same line, and you will see seven and 62 weeks, right? And then a gap and then the last seven years or the last week then move right straight up to the little squeakly marks which designates a rapture, which is a possibility. I personally think it is a a real event, as many of you do. I realize there are some who disagree with that. That's okay. Uh, it's all going to end the same anyway. All right, but the point of it is that's the 70th week. That's the tribulation period, as you will see on that bold line. Anyway... You can uh, interest yourself with that after lunch today. It is true that Israel has existed for a number of years now, for almost a generation. And yet, we must remember that the time of the rebirth is still future. And what lies in the future, immediate future for Israel? Well, before they get the blessing, before they enter the millennial kingdom with their Messiah... They must go through a holocaust. This is the devastation of sin, folks. Sin destroys. Not only does it destroy nations, it destroys people. There are some parallels that I won't take the time to go go into. But I tell you, whether it's me or you, if I continue in my life on a daily basis of saying, God, I'll do this, but I won't do that, and we're just always in God's face, even as a Christian. Even though we know to do right and we do wrong, that is sin. And God uses the same principles... How could I expect if I continue in the face of God saying, well, now, God, I'll do this, but these little things over here you want me to do, I'm sorry, I'm just not going to do that. I don't feel like doing that. That's too hard. That's not fair. And we just argue our life to death against God. You can expect tribulation in your life because God will keep the tribulation and the hardships coming until we repent. That's what we see with the nation of Israel. This is for born-again people let me ask you, maybe this morning you're here and you'd say, wow, I'm not a believer, I'm not a Christian. I've been to church, but I'm not a born... What's this born-again stuff? Let me ask you, what is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you, per- do you personally absolutely have confidence and assurance that if you would die today, you would immediately be in the presence of God? You see, if you understand salvation is not of you and it's not of your works, then you can have that security. You can have that assurance, as many of you do this morning. It's not because of our goodness. It's not because of our righteousness. It's because of the righteousness of Christ. You see, what God gives us as salvation is not an okay on our righteous acts because our righteous acts are as filthy what? Isaiah 64, 6. What God does, God gives us faith. God enables us to believe. He removes the blinders and we would say, you know, <laughs> I think it's a really a bright idea that I stop and trust Christ as my Lord and Savior and ask Him to change my life. I tell you, this is, this is a secret, but I'll tell you the truth. You didn't come up with that. That's the power of Almighty God taking the blinders away. Remember the blind man in the gospel? I don't know how this happened, but now I what? I see. Because he unblinded himself? It's probably not a good English construction. It's because God what? Opened up his eyes and he says, now I see. Spiritually, God. God. By faith and faith alone in Christ, in Christ alone. I see, I can't believe I never saw this before. But I desire you, I desire you with all of my heart. And no one could stop you from receiving Christ today. If it's of God. So let me ask you this morning, are you willing right where you sit? I'm not going to ask you to jump up, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. Are you at a place in your life where you say, I see? Folks, how could this Bible not be true? We're talking about things that have never been done before in the history of the world. And God's recorded it for us. Are you ready to place your faith in him and him alone? If so, as we pray, I would command you. I will not invite you. I will command you, because God commands you to repent. Now, you can reject that, but you're rejecting Almighty God. I would ask you, repent. Place your faith and trust. Let God have your life. It's a life that you could never have any other way. Christians, you and I, let's renew ourselves. Lord, whatever it is, I will do. I will trust you. You're a big God. Father, we thank you for this incredible account of 70 weeks of years. Lord, it's, it's just unbelievable that you would put this in Scripture and go by the dating systems of the Gentiles. But because you are a sovereign God, you know the end from the beginning, you decree all things. And yet, we have choice. How does that work? We know not. But we know that we are responsible for our choices, and yet we know, Father, that you have decreed all things. Therefore, you know the dates. You know exactly the 173,880 days. And therefore, we're not surprised. We're awed, but we're not surprised. We give you our lives, Father, to make you known. We do not want to be like the nation of Israel who refused to make you known and paid with their lives. And so, Father, I would ask for those that you have taken the blinders off and now they see. And may they just humbly, right where they're seated, say, God, I do. I I want you to change my life. I don't know what all that's like, but I know that I need it because I don't want to live like I'm living any longer. I, I give you my life. I want to become a child of yours. I want to come on your side. You're the God of the universe. And I understand that I am to serve you and obey you, and you will give me the enablement because I want to obey you. And so, Father, we thank you for your marvelous work In our lives and in the life of the nation of Israel for all the world to see. And we give you great praise for we ask it in the name, the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen.